Hi, I'm Forrest Griffin. Brian Caraway. And Lisa Tate. What's up, guys? This is Joseph Benavidez, UFC flyweight. Hi, this is Greg Jackson, and you're listening to It's MMA Zing, and that is an amazing pun. Get it? Like MMA, but amazing? Amazing. Radio. Welcome to It's Some Amazing Radio. As you guys can probably tell, I am not Dr. Law. He, <laughs> he, for once, is the one that's on assignment in Vienna. I'm Lavender Goons. And as always, I am joined by DJ Mark. Sup? And K Presentable. We got that secret episode. We got that Patreon exclusive episode, the fun episode. We'll give it to you for free. For all of you that have been clamoring for for a new voice on this podcast as as the host, well, here you go. You probably wanted Stefan before me, but you know what? I was the only one that was uh, willing to uh, learn how to do this shit. So you got me hosting. All right. Sick uh, burn Mark, on my part. I'm not, not even in the running. Say, you, got, you have a much smoother voice than I do as well. So, But let's face it. I mean, come on. Stefan got the it's voice too, of an angel. It's too late, Mike. You already laid bed. I'm the I'm lowest tier for host here. I get it. Oh, for not sure you're not. I for sure the, I am the lowest tier of the host here. You have the idea, here. but whatever. Well, today It's always kind of interesting to see um, who's directing this ship because we all kind of got our personal directions. We want to take it. Uh, I'm guessing we're going to be like... 30% less pro wrestling on this version. Um, and yet we're still touching on it. <laughs> we're still touching on it. So, yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. Well, I've been doing this for about two minutes at this point, And I already have a much higher respect for Bobby because, you know, normally I come on this and I'm kind of the court jester where I can have Raw on in the background or, you know, Dancing with the Stars or some other bullshit watching on TV and I can half pay attention. This time I actually had to have a empty room nothing on and focus on this shit so that's Bobby, true Bobby. wherever you are shout out to you mike is not watching any television we can all see and i'm gonna be less engaged because usually i'm watching whatever's behind his shoulder so well this should be a relatively short podcast today we'll uh we'll recap uh saturday's card and by saturday's card we really just mean the main event We'll talk about Cyborg's unceremonious exit from the UFC. We'll talk about Kane's uh, pro wrestling debut down in Mexico. Uh, Saturday's main event. And then we'll end it with stuff we like. So as we mentioned before, uh, there was a card on, on Saturday where the people's champ, Colby Covington, fought Robbie Lawler in, in my backyard in uh, Newark, New Jersey. And uh, he came away with a pretty dominant five-round performance. Uh, isn't that so, Mark? Yeah, Mike, you weren't you weren't tempted to, to go see this one live. This one didn't uh, get your wallet pumped out. <laughs> no, man. Here's a catch twenty-two with watching UFC cards uh, around my way. Um, if it's actually in Madison Square Garden or Barclays, those tickets are way too expensive. But yeah, true. If it's in Newark, uh, I don't want to go to Jersey. <laughs> So yep, I can, that 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 tracks. There you Mark. go. That makes sense. Um, you yeah, didn't want I, your chance to boo the Trump sons. You don't want to boo the Trump boys. No nah, man. I mean, with the amount of secret security that was uh, a secret service that was in uh, the Newark Center, I don't want to do that shit. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, to the match itself, I don't know about you guys. I haven't actually seen a lot of Covington's matches. I think I have mostly his ma past matches. I have kind of avoided just not being particularly interested in his style of fighting, even though, you know, he's highly regarded. The dude's uh, an intern champ at this point. Uh, so this is kind of my, my first look at him in a long time. And, and to be honest, I, I was fairly impressed. Uh, he really handled Robbie pretty well, um, and he engaged most of this fight in the stand-up. He and I think he has the record for most strikes thrown in a UFC match, which is, you know, no small feat. We have a lot of smaller weight classes that usually have really high volume and Covington really was pretty much nonstop throughout the fight. I mean, if I'm going to give some criticisms, I think his striking one was very sharp and crisp. Didn't have a lot of power, right? I don't think there was any point in this match where Robbie really looked like he was rocked or was in particular danger. Um, but Covington just really put it all together. You know, when they were standing, he was constantly frustrating Robbie with jabs in his face. Um, he mixed in kicks to the body and to the head really well. And in the few grappling, I mean, actually, in multiple grappling exchange exchanges, he was either completely dominating Robbie in the clinch or was able to successfully get takedowns, you know, fairly consistently throughout the match. I would say one of the... Um, uh, criticism I would have with his top game was he what he wasn't super great at securing Robbie on the mat for long periods of time he kind of has a wrestling style where he's constantly moving in advancing positions which gives Robbie opportunities to scramble as well and to work his way back up um, it's a very kind of Ben Askren-esque uh, 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 who, who's the cat at 55 that just beat Connor um, uh, Habib kind of style where they don't just kind of lay on top of you and just control you they're going to try to advanced positions and it, it lets the other guy on the bottom just have chances to get back up and Robbie was able to get back up but completely dominated throughout this fight and and a lot of it was just Covington just being completely overwhelming Robbie Lawler and I think that just really kind of stilted Robbie I think a criticism you can point out Robbie's way is he just didn't let his hands go um, while Covington had no hesitation pulling the trigger all night long Robbie was a little bit more hesitant. He spent a lot of time in the striking exchanges, moving around, trying to be an elusive target, but not firing back, and ultimately just gave up round after round after round. Um, so at, at the end of the day, I think we can all say, you know, I personally don't enjoy uh, Covington's kind of persona that he's created. Um, not so much that, like, he irks me. I just don't think his, his, his smack talk is particularly entertaining, and his alignment with the current presidential regime is probably the thing I dislike the most and probably the I didn't care that he just kind of schooled Robbie but I don't know if you guys saw this at the end of the fight where he got on top of the cage and was kind of you know celebrating you can see Don Jr. in the crowd and that really made me sick to my stomach seeing any of the Trump family happy literally just makes me like sick like oh like it's just like seeing Hitler having a good time it's just like no I don't want to see that shit this is not how the world should work so um I, I'm fairly certain that Covington Actually, you know, I I, I want to get your guys' take, too. I mean, how do you think Covington's going to do with uh, Usman, who seems to be... I mean, at this point, he, he's number one contender. It's pretty much all written in stone. I think that's an intriguing matchup. I don't think stylistically it's the most explosive thing in the world. But Covington's going to be fighting a guy that's... I, 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 I think Usman is a stronger man. I mean, physically, he looks more dominating. Um, but that fight's going to be interesting. I think it will go to the decision. Um, I'm just interested to see how those two play out because I, I was impressed with Covington at the end of the day with his performance against Robbie here. So, Stefan, let me throw it to you. So, speaking on something that Mark just mentioned, when let's ask one of the age-old questions that we love asking here. So, Kobe had a very strong performance, and he was once the interim champ, as much as we might not like him. So... Let's ask this question. 
is he the most deserving one for the next title shot and is he the one that will likely just get it because of heat um man i i hate talking about this guy uh you know um and you haven't said it yet mike but this is bobby's favorite fighter we can't let the listening audience ever forget bobby loves this man this is just his favorite guy this is his dude then you know stands. every show he's like, I'm not talking about Covington. And then he'll talk about him for like 15 minutes. Like, dude, just don't talk about him. We don't need to. But he brings it up and he gets so worked up about it. It's funny. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, it's hard to say he's not deserving. He, he's They've been on a collision course. They've been talking shit. Um, I just don't want it. I don't want to see him rewarded. Um, like Mark said, I don't like seeing the Trump. When the Trump boy showed up on my screen... I've never said this about anyone when I'm just sitting here by myself with my dogs. As soon as they were shown on my TV screen, I just like was to nobody in particular, like fucking traitors. Like I think of them as enemies of the state. Like I don't, I don't have these kind of thoughts and things. And I I hate that someone is using white nationalism as their gimmick. Um, And he, I know he's doing this as a gimmick. He came out to Kurt Angle's theme music because he knows the association is people chant. You suck with it. It has this, you know, even when Kurt Angle is a good guy in pro wrestling, they still do the You Suck chant because it's just ingrained into that song. Everything he did was a deliberate choice. So I know there's a shtick in it, but I do not want to fucking reward someone for taking this shtick. And the reason I don't want this fight is that's what this, the trash talk between these two is going to get ugly. It is going to be one of the biggest black eyes on this sport is how these two trash talk to each other. It's going to become super racial. It's going to become super political. It's going to be super low blowy. Colby Covington took a shot at Matt Hughes getting hit by a train. Like, he's not a good dude. But these are just like, this is where he wants to go with things. And it's like, it's just going to be the lowest common denominator. And I don't want to see it. Masvidal is someone who's fun, who's exciting. And it doesn't make me feel like depressed and dirty on the inside. I want him to get the shot. I think he has the better Q rating. But deserved on sporting things, yeah, it's probably Colby, but I, I don't want to reward him. Colby Covington, a man who uh, probably sleeps in a MAGA hat, likely fighting a guy from Africa. I give it a 3-1 to one odds at some point in the lead-up to the fight. He says that Usman's from a shithole country. Oh, I thought you were going to do a, a send him back chant. I mean, there's a lot of racist ways you can go with this. There's so many avenues. He really doesn't take a pick because he has a wealth of things that he could draw from the horrible things that have been happening in our reality, which is really shitty. There are a oh, lot of bullets in that bigot holster. <laughs> Very nice. So, I mean, I think uh, the thing I didn't say, um, but it was actually the question you put out there in terms of how I think they match up, Mark. Um, it really comes down to the gas tanks, I think. Because that's what Colby has going for him is he keeps up this wrestling and like no power, but he keeps up this volume pace and he doesn't get tired. Um, but is his wrestling better than Usman? I have trouble saying yes after what we saw Usman do to Tyron Woodley. And he kept the pace on Woodley, too. He didn't gas in that. And he took down arguably the hardest guy to take down in like the history of the UFC. And he kind of did it with ease. And who's been one of the best wrestlers in MMA couldn't do anything against him. It's tough for me to believe that Colby's more explosive or better technique than Woodley is. Um, it's just going to kind of come down to gas tanks, and that's where this could become an ugly fight, you know, if it becomes a stalemate. But I believe that Usman has more power, is more explosive, um, so he should be better to neutralize Colby's wrestling. And that's the thing is, if you see someone who can neutralize Colby's wrestling, he does not have power on those strikes. So 
the first guy who can negate Colby as a wrestler, it, that that kind of that's kind of it for him. Um, he's he throws strikes. He he sets a significant strike record, but I think he's a one trick. He's like a bee. That that striking was the result of Robbie fearing and being exhausted from the takedown. Like they weren't doing anything for hitting the most shots ever. Robbie's face barely had damage on it. There's nothing there. It's really all wrestling with Colby. Well, Colby now will ascend to about 17 and one. I think he's that one loss was maybe early in his UFC career. So that's really the question. Uh, no one's really been able to stop his wrestling or at the very least he's found a way to win in every fight. So Usman, if I'm right, is still recovering from surgery. So maybe this fight will happen sometime around around the end of the year. That would be a interesting fight to see, at least for the the lead up. So only other fight of note that happened in Newark this uh this weekend. Um don't even know if we should talk about it, was uh in the co main event, two very old men uh, fought each other. Maybe not Bellator very old men levels, but pretty old for the UFC. Jim Miller uh, so submitting Clay Guida with a guillotine choke. Anything you guys want to add to this, or do you just want to move on? I, I saw how short it was, and I was like, oh, I should watch this real quick before the show. I couldn't find the fight, so I have no <laughs> idea. But, I, yeah, he, he finished it in less than a minute at uh, 58 seconds. And, I mean, maybe this isn't – I mean, it's hard to take anything away when it's that quick, but Clay Guida's also been fighting at featherweight, and this was lightweight, so maybe that weight – disparagey kind of didn't help him i don't know not not much to take away here didn't i mean the, the funny thing about it is in the pre-fight like video package before the fight started it's basically them just arguing which one of them is going to retire first like and like I, I still got some left in me like i got some left in me too you, maybe you can use the retirement word i'm not retiring like yeah it's 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 two you know long timers you know it's nice to see them but it's a bit of a legend circuit type match it feels like yeah well, yeah, it, it always kind of pains me to see uh, two older fighters uh, fighting each other. When I'm not saying either of them, it's it's they're over the hill to the point where you know they shouldn't be able to fight and get a check. But I don't want to see them as a co-main event for for any type of card at this point. I think, I think it's just that uh, when Miller's they're co-main, from, you know, it's not a great card. <laughs> Miller's from New Jersey. I think it was just get a local boy there who's going to get a pop. Yeah, uh, I remember when I saw John Jones uh, ascend to the title. Um, Jim Miller fought on that card, if I'm if I'm correct. It was either that card or the card where uh, where Nate Diaz fought. I think I think he fought Nate Jim Miller actually. That, that might be it. that might be it. That's the one where uh, he like made him swallow his tongue, right? Like he got him in like the choke, but his he was like biting his tongue as he was in the choke, so like. Yeah, from right that one yeah. was pretty gnarly. It, it was gross. You thought he was going to bite his tongue off. Well, that's about enough covers that we need for uh, for this card that was pretty uh, pretty top-heavy. So on to uh, other MMA news that happened over the week. Uh, Cy- Christina Justino's last fight with the UFC was about a week, uh, a week ago or two weeks ago. And, you know, it hasn't been... Uh, a, a good it's been one of the worst kept secrets in you know I think in MMA that Cyborg has had a lot of issues with with the UFC um, you know even dating back to when 
Joe Rogan on Joe Rogan's podcast that uh, Dana White was on there with I forget which comedian and uh, that comedian was making jokes about how cyborg you know they should check cyborg for for scars because she's obviously a man and Dana White all he could do is just just laugh about it and Dana White in his own right has said a lot of not very nice things about cyborg cyborg as well so I don't think it came as any type of surprise when over the weekend uh, the UFC just sent out a little presser um, saying essentially that they were no longer in the cyborg business. That if she wanted to go sign with, with Bellator or one fighting and uh, fight lesser competition, you know, it was uh, it was all up to her. So, Mike, did, are you sure it was from a presser? Because actually it was weird because I saw this video get posted that was like this what Bobby would say, like propaganda radio or whatever. It was like a UFC one-on-one -on -one interview with Dana. And I thought he said it like on that video. And I wouldn't be surprised he didn't even talk to Cyborg because that's how they fucking let people go. It's like they don't even they don't even shoot you an email. It's just like, oh, it's out in the ether now. That's that's how I kind of oh. saw the story break. Was there a presser? That would make sense. Oh, no, no, no. Sense, I, but... I say presser because it just sounds fancy. It was really just him, you know, Dana White is shooting off at the mouth. Yeah. I, I mean, not surprised, right? Last week, Bobby literally told us like, contracts up she's probably not sticking around where do you think she goes we had that conversation so i don't think and this shocked any of us because we kind of saw it coming um but it's still shitty and i think i saw an article i think it was on mma fighting or maybe it was even junkie that um you know cyborg is the caliber fighter that deserves to be in the ufc um and letting her go i think like you mentioned mike i think a lot of it is her bringing up these past strifes and asking for an apology which i think is warranted uh, Dana's remarks to that was basically like he thought they kind of buried the hatchet when she signed with the UFC. They talked to, I guess they maybe they had some internal conversations about some of the things he said in the past. And I'd be surprised if he apologized ever for those things. Um, but I think ultimately Cyborg is a big paycheck they have to write for her. And, I, you know, I was, I was reading some comments about her getting released and people were like, oh, she doesn't really push the needle. She doesn't make but she main evented some cards and they did decent pay-per-view numbers. I mean, look, she's no John Jones. Um, she's no Connor. Uh, but she, she had a bit of a draw, you know, sometimes outside of just the UFC hardcore fan base. Um, but it was a big check to write. And we've always talked about the 145 division has always been extremely light. Um, the thing that makes it a little different now is that Amanda Nunes has jumped in there and kind of changed the script, beating Cyborg. I think a rematch made a lot of sense. We were, I know I was kind of excited to see them run it back, even though I I bow down to Amanda Nunes. She is the greatest of all time now. I will not pick against her, but I, I would be interested to see them run it back and see if Cyborg can't perform better. But we're not going to see that, right? And I think a lot of it has to do with her... She's an expensive paycheck to write, and I think all these optics around it with her wanting an apology, bringing up some of the bad stuff Dana did, I just don't think he wanted to face that criticism anymore, so he just let her go. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Stefan? Well, um, I kind of echo it. It's just kind of funny to me, the timeline of she asked for an apology. We're not in the cyborg business anymore. Um, you know, that, that was kind of shitty. I'm happy that she stood up for herself. Um, you know, I, I read the context of her apology she asked for, you know, she said she she has a daughter, she has a mother and her daughters received bullying because of the comments that she's received about being a man of being on steroids and these things. And that's shitty for anyone to have to go through. Um, 
In terms of, you know, does she deserve the spot? Probably. Um, I'm, I don't have strong feelings towards Cyborg. Uh, I think the only reason they were ever going to bring her in is because they wanted Ronda to take the shine off of her. And they wanted, they, they believed, I think they always brought Cyborg in with the intent of one of their stars taking that shine from her, taking that glow for her, exposing her. They thought it would be Ronda. That never happened. Ronda got exposed. Um, Amanda did it. And so that, that was kind of it for Cyborg. That was the mystique, right? She was unbeatable because she was smashing all these cans, these older, should-be-retired women. Um, and now that's gone. Like, is she still worth the paycheck? Maybe you could get one more fight. But I, I, I get why they're not doing it. Um, and hopefully she'll just go somewhere where she can be, you know, more appreciated. She should go to Japan. It seems like that's what she's... That's what her market is to me, you know. Um, I mean, that's... That's the thing, though. I mean, what type of market can she get outside of the UFC? It was, it was slim pickings finding 145 pounds girls for her to fight in the UFC. What the hell is she gonna find in Bellator or in One or in Japan? So, I mean, I guess she can find Gabby Garcia up, in Japan. Yeah, she's been fighting a bunch of cans up to this point. Like, they pull out like friggin' like fitness instructor. With like a losing record, sub five hundred record, a forty five year old Japanese woman. Yeah, they're not finding quality fighters, but there's not exactly it's not a deep talent pool. So, um, you know, if she's gonna fight, I I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the market is. Like I said, she, she I, I'm not that interested in her fights. I've never really been particularly shy. Not disrespecting her skill level, it's definitely there. It's just yeah, there's never been a good foil for her, so I've never been that interested. I would love to see her fight Gabby Garcia. That's all I'm oh, saying. Me too, Mike. I love a good freak show, and that would be aces. I mean, literally, of all the fights, I mean, I mean, we, we dance around it. We all know that. I mean, they'll find bodies for her wherever she goes. There, there's always someone that's willing to, you know, get a decent paycheck to take a take a beating. Uh, but yeah, it, it, what, what sucks is that we spent years trying to find someone for her to be competitive with, and no one's really been up to the test until Amanda Nunes. Amanda Nunes just crushed her. And now it seems like the only fight that has any intrigue in the whole division is no longer going to happen because of outside forces, whether it be pettiness or ego or financial reasons or all of them adding together. Um, you know, we're not going to see that rematch. And, and that's disappointing. Um, hopefully Cyborg can still, you know, make money uh, and still get that that bread. Because, I mean, the, the fans don't know. And I think there's a lot of negativity around Cyborg because of these kind of comments that happened before. But... Um, and I don't know if you guys have, but I had the pleasure of meeting Cyborg, and she's one of the nicest fighters I've ever met in my entire life. And they've all been extremely nice. She, when I met her, she's all smiles all the time, is so happy to talk to people. You don't really get this. I mean, I think you can look at Cyborg and see her kind of physique and be like, oh, she's and, and, and the way she fights. right? She fights like a berserker and just think that she's some kind of thug and some Neanderthal, and you couldn't be further from the truth. And that's really why you can't judge a book by its cover, because you can look at a, a woman like her and be like, oh, she's a cage fighter. She's probably, you know, very rude and aggressive. And she was a sweet, one of the sweetest persons I ever met. So I've always had a special place in my heart for her. I also just think she's an amazing talent. Um, and like I mentioned in last week, she's getting better too. So I, I would love to see her pushed and challenged to see how far and how much better she can get when she's actually meeting people that are going to push her and she doesn't just walk through everybody. Um, but we'll see. You know, you never know. Uh, new talent comes into the game all the time. And, you know, maybe she'll she'll find some kind of hot prospect out of... And I think one thing we didn't talk about, maybe she goes to 1F, uh, 1FC. Um, I don't know how many 45ers they have out there, but um, that's another organization that's also been, you know, picking up some, some heavy names. 
uh, to kind of build something off of. And they also do kickboxing too. Maybe she can have a rematch with that one girl that demolished her in kickboxing, or maybe they can have an MMA fight. You know, there's some there's some intrigue out there, but it is slim pickings, and it just sucks that we had one fight where she lost, and we won't get to run that back and see just how great Amanda Nunes really is. Because I think that's ultimately what we would see. So Steph, going back to to the UFC then. Um, up until Amanda Nunes, you know, knocked her out, she was the greatest 145-er uh, to walk the face of the earth. And in the UFC, there are maybe five 145-ers, if you're counting the champion Amanda Nunes. So I couldn't even name him. What does this mean for that division at this point? Because at least if Cyborg was still there, you could at least sell... I think a really big fight, the biggest fight I would say for 145 division in, you know, a defeated cyborg trying to run it back and get another crack at her title or her old title. We don't have that anymore now. Outside of Megan Anderson, I can't tell you another 145er in that division. So what's the future for that division in the UFC? Um, unfortunately, I kind of have a bit of a pessimistic outlook. I think maybe they squeeze one or two title defenses out of it. Um, but I do know Amanda Nunes is very interested in starting a family. She's already been having these conversations up to this. And I think whenever she does and she needs to vacate this belt, I think this division folds. There's just not bodies to keep this active, particularly if she does go on a long maternity leave layoff. Um, again, that's been, that, this has been talked about before um, even the cyborg fight happened. So I know it's it's on her radar so uh, they might squeeze one or two out because, you know, they love having title fights. They love having interim title fights just to throw on the top of a card um, that, you know, is super paper thin throughout the rest of it. But, uh, yeah, I, I kind of think that once um, whenever Amanda takes some time for her family life, uh, this division folds. Yeah, well, that'll be very interesting to see what happens with the 145 division. Um, if it folds, it will only have lasted for for a few years at this point and it never really got off the ground so that'd be pretty dis depressing thought well here, here's a dark horse prediction maybe jermaine durandamy is just biding her time waits for cyborg to be out of the game waits for amanda to be out of the game and then she takes that belt back where she doesn't want to fight anyone of note yeah she comes Come back my, my hand is completely fine now and you know she's punching people late after the bell like doing all kinds of cheating but still winning could be it that could be it all right so uh what do we got next Ah, so chain baby i know you want to skip it <laughs> i had actually completely forgotten about it because i was looking at the rundown and even though you guys had asked me to put kane i'd completely forgotten to do that so my mind kind of uh, short-circuited for a second you don't need there. to stick on it too long but we should we should we should make note this was a good thing Yes. So speaking of uh, fighters having to move on from the UFC, in this case, this was a much happier note. Uh, the former uh, UFC heavyweight champion, Kane Velasquez, uh, surprised anyone who doesn't follow MMA junkie, MMA fighting, sure dog, or knows nothing about MMA, surprised everyone but those people when he ripped off his mask at a triple a um wrestling event in in mexico um from what everyone was saying this weekend he was a uh, 
pretty uh, athletic and making some pretty acrobatic moves for for a man his size um now he did some move that uh, for the life of me i can't pronounce uh mark uh, if you will help me out with what that move is called uh well i know i he there was there was one sequence where he pulled off some pretty good what they call in the biz spots um and one of the moves like, one of the maneuvers i can't i can only describe very poorly but mostly i think what a lot of people were really impressed with is he pulled off a hurricane rana um, this is basically a move where you jump up basically on your opponent's shoulders, um, use your legs to wrap around their head, kind of do a pseudo backflip to kind of flip the opponent onto their back. Um, it's a maneuver that a lot of the lightweights do. Um, you probably, I mean, honestly, if you saw someone do a Kirkron, like I saw Black Widow do that and a million other, you know, action sequences, a very popular move because it looks very flashy. Um, but he pulled it off really well and he's a big guy. And honestly, we've been, we've, heard for a while that kane was wanting to transition into pro wrestling but um we just didn't know how he would take to it and we've seen other pro wrestlers get into it like ronda um who we've been very critical of when she first showed up she looked a little you know she had a good amount of time to train for it and her first couple matches seemed a little rough um and from the few things that i saw um kane has really taken to it pretty well and we mentioned other mma fighters like um matt riddle who have also really just taken uh, like a fish to water to pro wrestling, and I was I was honestly really impressed. I I didn't know how Kane would factor in. I thought AAA, which is for those who don't know, is kind of like the WWE of luchador wrestling, or you know, there's also that luchador underground. I don't really know how they stack, but I know AAA was kind of top dog for a long time. Uh, but it's a different type of pro wrestling than what you kind of see in the WWE, and to see him transition to that and, and to do pretty well with you know not a ton of training. Um, was really intriguing. Uh, I was really surprised at just how well he took to it. Um, and, you know, I didn't see a lot of the matches. Basically, he did a Hurricane Rana, which was really great. I think he might have finished the match with a Kimura. Um, so it was a good, you know, I often talk, one of the things I often talk about with, you know, these fighters retiring is, you know, where they pivot after their fight career to continue to make money so that we don't see what we see with a lot of the old veterans is basically they don't have another way to make a significant income or the allure of being in front of a crowd is something that they can't stop doing. And you get, you know, situations, unfortunately, like Gary Goodridge, who continued to fight well after he should have stopped and now is suffering, you know, severe consequences. And we don't want to see that for any of our favorite fighters. And I always wish that everyone can pivot into some kind of field where they're going to be able to be financially secure, whether that's owning a gym, doing online training videos, whatever you have to do to continue the inflow to come in after your fighting career. I'm all for it. And, you know, this might be a great move for Kane. You know, I don't know if he's particularly interested in staying in AAA. I don't know what their kind of pay regimen is, but I can imagine, um, you know, once he kind of gets the feel of pro wrestling under his belt, I, I would just assume WWE would be very intrigued with getting him over on the roster because they have Brock. Those two have a story together. I think they could really, you know, make something of it. Uh, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. But mostly this was kind of our first little uh, look at Kane going into pro wrestling. And I was very um, impressed with what he was able to pull off. So kudos. Steph, what are your thoughts on Kane going basically the whole match with a Lucha Libre mask? Um, it's cool. It, it it's very honoring the heritage of it all. You know, that's that's such a big thing with Mexican wrestling. It's the mass. So everyone. I mean, back when like the golden era of pro wrestling, when I used to watch like WCW, and that was my introduction uh, introduction to like the whole lucha libre style. Everyone had a mask. There was like La Parca, Psychosis, Rey Mysterio. 
everyone had a fucking mask. It was a big deal when they lost their mask. Like that is such a, like a big part of the storyline is like, that's a retiring thing is when a luchador gets demasked. How anyone didn't recognize him. I was, we were kind of joking before the podcast because Kane is kind of a uh, famously kind of faux outrage known. He's got a giant chest tattoo that says Brown pride. Um, I don't know how that went hidden or unnoticed. I didn't catch the fight. So I don't know if it was covered up or some way, but that that seems like a tell, in my opinion. I, I don't know. I, I really don't know how much of the audience didn't know it was Kane. Because maybe they're just, I mean, it, there could be people in the audience that just don't even know who Kane Velasquez is, maybe. But uh, yeah, I, I think some of the articles I read were like, it was kind of like a lost opportunity to kind of hide his face. But like you said, Steph, I think I, I honestly took it away as him kind of paying a little bit of homage and heritage to this sport that he he's a newcomer in, right? So he, he wants to kind of show the respect of, you know, where the forefathers came from. And it, you know, Lucha Libre is a big thing and you wear the mask. And I think he was kind of paying that up. And ultimately, from what I read, like he, he takes the mask off, right? And then everyone sees his cane and gets all excited. And that's where you get your big pop. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's really cool. I, I, and I do want to catch the whole match, but I don't know if you guys know, like, AAA and a lot of these, it was one of those, like, six-man tag. So, like, everyone's getting in and out. There's usually, like, a midget on the outskirts. This shit can get kind of crazy. But uh, I kind of want to see just how Kane did. And it might just be the few little, I have to assume, like, all the gifts I saw were probably the main stuff he did. He did a couple backflips here and there, did a Kimura, and that was the end of the show. But uh, yeah, cool stuff. The uh, the three man team that Kane was in was uh, Cody Rhodes, also known as the uh, executive yeah. vice president of AEW. Look at and you. The other was a uh, Psycho Clown, who's uh, the most popular wrestler in Mexico. <laughs> Why wouldn't he be right? The name like that, who couldn't get attached to that man? I feel like that's just <laughs> the right amount of uh, of of bump that you need, you know, for uh, the first. Uh, heavyweight combat sports champion you know for, I just, from mexico I just like they're like uh insane clown posse very popular can't take their name what if we just go psycho clown <laughs> good enough well what, what is it in, in uh in spanish though mike is it loco clown auto i don't speak spanish wow i actually don't know oh payaso uh, i know it's a uh, clown i don't know what psycho is in loco is crazy i guess loco loco payaso all right, love it. Yeah. Crazy and psycho up. have slightly different connotations, but it works. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure what psycho is in Spanish. I'm pretty sure there's a word for it, but I'm too lazy to look it up. That's fair. That's that's not the kind of information I think people come for is Spanish translations when I'm murdering everyone's names. So, well, we've given the people pretty uh pretty useless information on, on this podcast over the last six years, so that wouldn't be the most useless, I think. Yeah, power for the course, I guess. All right, on Saturday, UFC on ESPN 14, Shevchenko versus Karmouche. Oh, my God. This is the second time they've fought. Yeah, Liz beat her before. Isn't that amazing? Holy shit. This has happened twice? Okay. Well, this is for the women's uh, flyweight championship, and this will be uh, this will be happening in the Antel Arena in Montevideo, Uruguay. What a place to send it. Mm. So Valentina is uh I think the, she's fluent in Spanish, so she's gonna win and talk to the crowd in Spanish. Valentina? Yeah, she's like it's one of the random things. She's like fluent in Spanish. I don't know what her connection is, but she does actually have a genuine connection here. Huh. Okay. Alright. Well, Valentina opened up as a large uh, favorite for uh for this fight. 
Stefan, if you could tell me what uh, what best fight odds says. I think we're currently seeing uh, Valentina at minus 1250 with uh, Liz coming in at a 8 to 1 underdog. You got $20 you want to possibly throw away. This could this could hit. This could hit. Now, I don't want to say that this is going to be a smash uh, match, but I'm not going to actively say it's going to be a smash match. What would you guys say? Uh, I'll take it. Uh, Both of you are muted. (laughs) My bad. Um, I could see that. I could see this being unanimous decision, Valentina. Um, You know, we remember her for a couple of very spectacular finishes, but by and large, Valentina wins by decision. Um, She doesn't often really close in with the power. You know, she she did land the head kick, the one in that one fight. Um, And then there was the other girl who was just very overmatched. I think we all just thought, like, that was a weird, confusing match. It was her... Uh, I forget her opponent's name at the time, but like I think it was her debut in the UFC. Um, it was really kind of a uphill challenge for someone so green to the sport. Um, and Carmouche is tough. She wrestles well, right? She she had the honor of being Ronda's opponent in the kind of kickoff to the women's division. And uh, lest you forget, she had a moment in that fight. She had a moment where she looked like she was winning, but Ronda kind of had to scramble to get that arm bar that she so often does. And she did, but Liz had control. You know, she had her, like, I think it was like a rear naked that she she didn't quite finish. There was some choke she had that was decently, it looked like it had a chance. Um, she, she's a tough she's a tough lady. She, she, she knows how to grapple and fight for her life. So um, I could see this, you know, I could see... Valentina never clips her with anything. Valentina knows she's ahead in the scorecard, so she just picks her apart from distance. Um, that's how a lot of Valentina fights go, but it's it's very hard. Even though Liz has a win, like you were kind of shocked to realize this was happening again. That was a while ago. We see a lot of great champions. They lose early because they're green, um, and she's kind of the tough, well-rounded fighter who will give you a hard time, but I, I can't see her winning. Yeah, I mean, I think the outcome is pretty solidified. I don't think any of us were are thinking Carmouche is going to pull it off here. Um, I agree with Steph. I think I think a decision is the most likely um, outcome. Liz has never been finished with strikes. I mean, Valentino could do it. You know, if anyone's going to be able to, she puts on that kind of pressure. Um, and her last performance was spectacular. You know, that that knockout with Jessica I. We don't see a lot of that in, in, the, in the flyweight women's division. Uh, so that was quite impressive. And it's not to say that she couldn't do that to Liz, right? If she pulls off a high kick like that, anyone's lights are going to be turned off. Um, Liz has just never gotten caught like that before. So, I mean, I do think, you know, the route that she normally goes is just she is better on the feet than most of these girls. She knows how to negate the takedowns. And I think that's where this fight's going to kind of die on is just Liz not able to take the fight to the ground where maybe she'll have a little bit of an advantage, if any. Because um, I don't think on the feet she's going to have have it. But uh, I, I never saw her first fight. It wasn't in the UFC. Um, it was a TKO doctor stoppage, which makes me think that she cut Valentino and the doctor stopped it there. Liz is tough, and, you know, like Stefan said in the first fight with Ronda, she almost, you know, had that victory in hand. Something crazy could happen here. Liz is just that type of fighter that if an opportunity presents itself, if Valentino's sleeping on something, she'll try to, you know, she's going to try to take advantage of it. You know, whether she's successful and is able to capitalize on a mistake to to, to win the belt seems a little far-stretched. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be, you know, Liz – getting battered for the better part of five rounds and losing a decision. But, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't put, I'm not going to, again, I always put this outlier out there. Not going to be shocked if Liz does something crazy. Um, but ultimately when I look at this fight and the last fight, we were talking a lot of uh, smack about 45. This 125 division is not super stacked. I mean, when you're, when your contenders are Jessica, I and Liz Carmouche, you know, nothing against them, but you know, they, 
they were kind of hovering around at 35 and got these shots at flyweight because you know the vision is still growing right and it might still grow into be something really great but right now we're seeing a lot of contenders that just don't really deserve it so um you know or not quite of the caliber where i think they're going to be able to really challenge valentina but it could be an interesting match and i'm not going to be a hundred percent shocked if liz shocks the world because it would be that caliber of upset i believe here's what liz carmouche did to earn this title shot um since let's just go with uh november of 2016 split decision caitlin chohagen lost to alexis davis won against jennifer maya and won against lucy pudilova that gets you a chance at ufc gold baby you get two. It's almost like heavyweight at flyweight women's right now. Um, like I said, hopefully the division kind of develops a little bit more and we start getting a line of contenders that are either new blood or top quality because, I mean, you know, nothing against Jessica I or Liz Carmouche. They, they never really – they always seem kind of like journeymen, un unfortunately, um, and it seems like they're still kind of in there. And, and now that they're getting title shots, it kind, of, it kind of just spots a light on this division not being really fleshed out yet, but it is new, right? And, and these divisions take time to mature and grow. And I think there is a lot of 35ers that are kind of like, you know what, this this division's a little too heavy for me. Uh, 25 might be a better fit. So, and for the women, I, I want as many different weight divisions as possible, and to you know get these girls that aren't sacrificing, you know, 15, 20 pounds to their opponent because they don't have the other option to fight at a low division. So we'll see. All right. Well, main card starts at eight o'clock. And it is one of those horrible UFC cards that's uh, six fights. As the There's a card. decent fight on here we didn't mention, though. That is almost, it's kind of pick-worthy. And that's it, uh, Vulcan Ozdemir versus Ilya yeah. Latifi. Not bad. It's not a bad one. But it's pretty low on the card, which uh, makes me feel like these two haven't had a great run. I think the shine is kind of off on Vulcan, but both of them are knockout artists. It's certainly worth your attention if you're going to watch. Someone's probably getting knocked out in this fight. Certainly worth, um, certainly worth a watch. Someone will probably uh, get some CTE in that fight. And I think another fight also to note is just uh, the Vicente Luque and Mike Perry fight. Mike Perry might have, uh, you know, rocks for brains, but normally doesn't have a boring fight. So um, there's a, at least half of this main card should be bearable to watch. Yeah, and Tisha Torres is on the prelims. Not necessarily that. You know, you need to take time away to make that. But she's another name out there. But, yeah, so, I mean, overall, kind of a weak card. But there's something. You know, if you're really bored on a Saturday, you got ESPN Plus. Or maybe it's Sunday morning. You don't watch cartoon anymore. You can watch a couple fights instead. Are, are there still Saturday morning cartoons? I said, I, I think I said Sunday. No, definitely. There, there aren't. And I'm like, what do you fucking kids watch now? It's, it's all on your computer. That's what it is. Yeah, it's Netflix 24-7. <laughs> Netflix and YouTube all day, I think, yep, is what these much. kids are doing nowadays. They don't know the uh, they don't know the joys of waking up at eight o'clock, making a bowl of cereal, and then also I, making a uh, a deluxe size omelet. Man, those are the days. <laughs> you, our childhoods were very similar until that omelet part. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I was talking to my uh, niece not that long ago. Um, she's fifth grade, about to go into middle school. I'm just kind of asking her, like, you know, how she's been, how school, like, kind of just, you know, what are the kids up to these days? I gotta stay attached to my family, the little ones. And, you know, she's talking about, like, cliques in the school. And, you know, like, oh, you know, you got the jock boys play basketball at lunch. And I'm like, oh, what group are you a part of? She's like, I'm the, I'm with the YouTubers. 
I'm like, that's a click. That's a thing. That's a category of people in school. He's like, yeah, we're the YouTubers. I'm like, oh, no, yeah, I don't even care what that means. Like, does, <laughs> that's know, amazing. I, I need, that that's I need to are. know what that means. Uh, stuff. Does that mean they just love watching YouTube, or do they actually upload and you know post videos on YouTube? I can't speak to all of them. My little niece has a YouTube channel that she uploads animations that she makes. And uh, that's more than I ever did in fifth grade. Uh, thank God she's a child who doesn't have a big following because, man, would all her videos get taken down for copyright infringement because okay. she used a ton of unlicensed music in her uh, well, animations. I, but I was about to ask cute. if you wanted to plug her YouTube page. I, I guess do not be doing because that. she's 10 years old. And you don't need no one who doesn't immediately know her needs to be seeing what a 10 year old is up to. And, uh, yeah, she's got some copyright infringements. I don't want her work to be pulled. Well, I mean, Steph, I don't think you're being a great uncle not teaching her what copyright infringement is. Mike, we live in the Bay. This is all about the hustle. You know how many bootleggers are on the streets of Oakland where she lives and reads every single day? I'm, I'm from fucking New York. I mean, it's all bootleggers over there, so... Am I wrong, Mike? Is it it not full of bootleggers? Have the movies lied to me? Hey, man, where do you think I buy all my sunglasses? You think I uh, go into coach and buy them? Nah, man, I go to 86th Street and 3rd Ave to to the Africans that are always at that corner right in front of the Sephora. Mark, if you've never bought a New York sidewalk Rolex, have you ever really been to New York? I guess not, apparently, because I did not seek out their bootlegged merchandise. It actually makes me long for these cities. Whenever I go check out a basketball game in a different city, I, I notice if it's not in California and New York, there's no bootleggers. I'm like, I'm up in Portland, and I'm like, you guys got so much sidewalk space. There's this giant, like, courtyard in front of the stadium where people kind of all stand around and mingle before and after games. I'm like, why is no one selling me two for ten t-shirts? Where's my Damian Lillard gear? <laughs> Missed opportunities the bacon in other cities. Dog, as long as I have the bacon-wrapped hot dog. I feel like the experience is good enough for me because I love smelling those after I leave an event, but I never eat them because I don't trust it. Uh, Me and my brother have gotten uh, food poisoning from every situation (laughs) I've had it. That's Oakland, San Jose, and Los Angeles. Smells delicious. You're right, Mark. It smells so good. I I mean, I love more than that smell of like bacon, pepper, and onions. And a hot dog grilling, but yeah, it's not the clean. It's not the cleanest setup they got. When your grill is a turned over shopping cart, yeah, it's not going to be super sanitary. I mean, you don't know if they, you know, threw some bleach on it beforehand. You don't know about their sanitary habits. I don't. I don't, Mike. I'm not willing to roll the dice on it. Well, I, I routinely get a uh, hot dogs from a uh, from a cart that you know cooks it in. You know, water. So I, I'm disappointed. When I, went to New York, I did not get a street dog, and I—I I mean, I definitely was Jones in one a couple times, but it just—it's kind of, always a weird thing. Like, I don't want to interact with people. This is probably really dirty, but it does. Just like the bacon wrapped ones by the ballpark, it smells really fucking good. Look, man, there is probably so many things wrong with a dirty water dog, but when you're walking by and it's two dollars for a dog and a can of Coke. That is good. A, that they is almost got, they almost got Costco beat without the big overhead. So good on them. That's uh, that's a quick tangent. That's how they got me at the Rose Bowl. It was after uh, me and Bob were in the shuttle line because our feet were killing us. We wanted to hop on that bus. And so we're just in this line for like 10 minutes. And I'm just standing next to the hot dog guy. And he's like, uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, two for seven dollars, two for seven dollars. And then, like, right when the line finally starts moving, he's like, all right, how about two for three? And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, you got me. You got me. He haggled me down into a oh, price that was for seven's not great. Uh, and then I got food poisoning. So who really won? In that <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they both came out all right. 
Well, I feel we did because we got that great story about, you know, your your. And of course, you, the listener, always win when you tune into It's Amazing Radio when Bobby's not around. (laughs) Kids get to play. The cat's away. All right. And with that, that ends our coverage of next week's card. Uh, Stefan's uh, case of diarrhea that he had a a time ago. I mean, he didn't really paint the picture that well, but all right. Stuff we smell, like. Just smell, smell with your nose, guys. Don't, don't give in. Don't give in. So let's move on to stuff we like. Uh, for me this week, oh, and uh, I'm picking Valentina as well. And uh, Bobby told me he is as well. So that's that was obvious. No, no one was going to go out on a limb and pick Carmouche. No. So on to stuff we like. For me this week, it's uh, it's very simple. Um, much like how when any of the Fast and the Furious movies come out. That is always appointment watching. I've tried to watch it on the weekend that comes out, basically since uh, the fourth one. And uh, this week was no different with uh, the Fast and the Furious offshoot, Hobbs and Shaw. I thought it was a solid movie. You know, um, I doesn't take much for me to like a movie. Uh, with the case with this one, all I needed was that it made me laugh. There was extreme over-the-top action, as you can only expect from a Fast and the Furious movie. And uh, there was a lot of explosions and some cool car shit. And this movie delivered on all of those points. Was the movie really absurd at certain points? Yes. Idris Elba did some things on that motorcycle that I literally laughed out loud in the movie theater. Um, That's all I can really say on that part, but... The things he was doing was just ridiculous. Um, as always with the Fast and the Furious movies, uh, they're starting to get into really superhuman things that at this point you just accept as, well, that's just the course of doing business while watching this movie. One thing I will add, literally the most unbelievable thing that I thought, well, that's just fucking bullshit, that I thought when I saw this movie was there tr- they tried to tell me that Jason Statham's old ass is the same age as the woman who's playing his sister in that movie, Vanessa Kirby, a.k.a. Princess Margaret from The Crown. All right? In flashbacks, they had it that they were both children at the same time. I know Jason Statham is a young-looking, older man, but come on, that boy is in his 50s, and that girl is like 30 years old and looks like she's 25. Come on. All right? All the shit that Idris Elba did, I believe that way more than these two are close in age. All right, that's what I got. Hobbs and Shaw. What do you got, Steph? I'm going to let you have that one, Mike. Not my cup of tea. Not my cup of tea. Bobby knows I've said some very disparaging things about that movie in the lead up to it. Just not my cup of tea. And I used to love everything The Rock did. Um, uh, I'll talk about this week is what I kind of asked you guys before we went on air because I'm just curious where you were with it. Um, And that's an Amazon Prime series called The Boys. I was really hoping this would become a bit more of a cultural phenomenon, but it's really hard for stuff on Amazon Prime to become that big in the zeitgeist. People just don't watch stuff on there. People just don't know about it as well. Um, so, you know, I want, I, I've been actually, this is a show that I'm actually been actively trying to get the word out there to coworkers, to friends, friends of friends. Um, you know, the superhero genre has really kind of run pop culture lately. Um, so if you have fatigue, 
maybe this isn't for you, but if you're a comic book fan who doesn't want this revolution to ever end like me, um, then you're always interested in uh, superhero content, particularly if it's good content, and that's what I think the show is. Um, I said it with no hesitation to Mark. I think this is the best superhero anything that's been on TV. Um, it's it's It was one of the best properties I've seen. I know Bobby and I talked about it because he ended up binging through it a couple days. He said he thought it was enjoyable. He said obviously he, uh, he could tell that I liked it more than him. Um, I like stuff with nuance, man, and uh, that's kind of my problem with the Hobbs and Shaw is it 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 harkens to an older, simpler type of action movie, and it's nothing wrong if you still enjoy that. Um, I I I just like a little bit more nuance in my action uh, material, and this gives it it's 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 such a crazy thing. I mean, so um, I think Mark started watching it too, so I'm not going to get into any spoilers, but kind of the base premise is like what if there was an Avengers or Justice League? Um, and I do mean Justice League because there's very obvious parallels of who the superheroes in this universe are in the known, like, kind of mainstream comic world. But uh, what if those people weren't golden children heroes? What if they lived in a real world where people are selfish when uh, people do uh, gray area things, where people do bad things, um, where business spins stories to make them look like heroes when maybe they're not uh what if being a superhero was a privately funded industry right because that's one of the the plot lines of spider-man kid's broke kid is struggling to make it in new york even though he's their greatest hero because being a superhero doesn't pay anything there's no reward for every person you save for every falling crane you stop um you still have to go out there and work so and you know so what are the what are the what are the things that come with this um I love it. It's a, it's just it's gritty. It's dark. In the first ten minutes, you see how kind of like oh, this is real. This is not your Marvel superhero PG thirteen. This is rated R. Um, so you know it might be heavy for some people, but I fucking found it interesting. I, I found it captivating. I loved it. Yeah, um, and I'll, I'll chime in here too because I've watched five of the eight episodes so far, and and probably of the spectrum that you're talking about, where Stefan really enjoyed it a lot, and Bobby was he enjoyed it, but it wasn't quite as hot. I, I'm definitely more on your spectrum stuff, where I've been really impressed with the show. Um, and one of the things that I've been mostly impressed with, and this goes back to another thing that I consumed this week that I liked. I also saw Good Omens, which is also a Amazon Prime show. And these are two original shows. These are the first two original shows I've seen Amazon Prime produce. Um, and I was really, like you said, Steph, um, I, I don't have easy access to Prime. I had to borrow it from somebody. So it's not something I usually turn to. And there's been a lot of good series on the service, but I, I just never gave it the chance, right? And now that I've seen two of them, I kind of see that, you know, Amazon's putting bucks into this and the shows are showing that. And I think when you made the statement that you like this show more than any of the other live action shows, I think the first thing you kind of think to is Netflix shows and maybe the CW shows. And one of the things I like more about the boys and Netflix shows is that every scene's interesting, right? These are really well well developed characters that have a lot of nuances. And when they have a scene, you're digging into that a little bit. There's so many scenes in the Netflix shows where it's like a 10 minute scene with Daredevil talking to the nun or something. And I just couldn't give a shit. I'm so bored. And I just want to see Daredevil Daredevil do some Daredevil shit. And you know, you know, you have costs. You have to spread out the action so much so that you're not blowing your all your funds too quickly and i mean the boys has a lot of action scenes it doesn't skimp on the production they're high quality really well produced but you know the scenes were it's just kind of giving you more backstory on the characters or just captivating and i think that has to go with the writing and the acting and the directing and all the things that make a show great are all in here together and i've been really intrigued and 
my wife Christine has been watching it with me, and she's been she was a little bit more lukewarm, you know, because she, she I think sometimes she would see a scene and be like, well, that doesn't necessarily make sense why a character would do this or that. And then the next scene, it kind of explains that, right? She's like, why is this person jumping into this relationship so quickly? Wouldn't they be scared? And then something happens like, okay, they kind of, they, it looks like the writers took the time to think about what the audience is going to be perceiving and how the narrative is kind of unfolding and to address some of the questions that you'd have along the way. And uh, the show does a lot of things that I think a lot of these kind of streaming shows do where they dump you in the middle of a scenario or situation and then you meet new characters. They have a lot of backstory to unravel, and they slowly unravel that throughout the course of the series. So it's really interesting seeing a new superhero and being like, "What's with this black noir guy? There's something weird." I'm, and that's Stefan. That's the one I'm really into. Like this guy always wears a mask. He's some cyborg or something. I'm very suspicious about this. Um, but yeah, the, the writing's really great. The acting's fantastic. It's funny. It, it, I think it takes. I think overall, a lot of it is DC based. Like Steph mentioned, they have like this superhero group that is just ripoffs of. Uh, Superman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Aquaman. I mean, they're direct one-to-one ripoffs. And they and I think what's funny about that is they hit a lot of the kind of jokes that you would make, like Aquaman's kind of a stupid superhero with a really dumb ability, and they kind of talk about that a little bit. But, uh, yeah, overall, I- I'm with you, Steph. I've been really enjoying the show. It's been – and I, I-, I like the adjective used captivating. I think every scene has been captivating where – I'm interested to see where this conversation's going and what it's going to lead to. And I think Christine would, would she kind of agrees. A couple of times she's like, oh, I might go in the other room and do something else. But you start watching and it's like, okay, I'm kind of interested. I'm kind of getting more involved in the story and the narrative of the uh, the cast and stuff. And yeah, I've been, I've been thoroughly enjoying it. And I think overall with this and Good Omens, it's just Amazon's, they're putting out really good stuff. So I have a feeling, like you mentioned, Steph, a lot of people are very wary about, you know, if the quality of the sh- and, I, and a lot of it is just, there is way too much content out there and there's so many people saying this, that, and the other is really worth your time. It's hard. I mean, and look, we do it here every week. We recommend stuff to you. And then maybe every now and then I'll watch something that Mike recommended or that Stefan recommended. And most of the time we don't, right? Cause there's so much to consume. We can't consume it all. And you just have to kind of pick and choose the things that kind of appeal to you. Um, but I would say, Watch a trailer for the boys, and if a trailer, if base, if the base concept of the show doesn't intrigue you, then just don't watch it. Um, because this show reminds me a lot of uh, My Hero Academia, right? It takes that concept, and I think that it that on its base, where it kind of looks at the gritty realism of people having superpowers, I think is a really fun concept to play around in, and I like that we're getting more shows that are kind of doing this and doing it more gritty, and I think. Also, we, there is a lot of superhero content out there. Like you mentioned, there's Netflix shows. There's not a ton that do R-rated and really do kind of like R-rated stuff. And this show goes into some really kind of tough scenarios and plays on some themes that like, I'm basically saying like, if you have like a 12, 13 year old, I would still maybe say at the very least have a conversation about some of the stuff they're going to see before they do it, or maybe just not have them watch it because it's not just violence and gore. There's a lot of sexual assault like things that go on in this show that could be a little uncomfortable or you know not appropriate for someone that's 12 or 13 they might have watched deadpool but i think deadpool's r rating is a little bit different than the boys r rating um but it is a really quality show it gives me not quite to the tier of quality that breaking bad is but it gives me some breaking bad vibes where crazy shit happens and it's interesting to see the characters deal with it so i've been really enjoying it yeah all right uh 
I know you're just piggybacking off of us stuff. So do you have anything you want to add? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll blast through a couple other things. Um, over the weekend, I still haven't tried Fire Emblem. I think both you guys did. You guys, because I saw Mike was playing. I know Stefan has. You guys have been enjoying it, right? Yeah. But you guys um, played the 3DS games before. I, I, I'm a big Fire Emblem fan. I've been like, this is the game I've been anticipating for the Switch above Pokemon, above Smash Brothers, and you know those those were the, the, that was the other three. I mean, that's numbers two and three. It's nothing from yeah. Me. But Fire Emblem, the the next generation of this, um, I'm I'm loving it. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Eddie, you know, our, our, our pal, he's the one who introduced me to Fire Emblem, and he's the furthest along of any of us, and I asked him how he's enjoying it from where he is, and he said, well, I think this is the best game yet. So um, he, he did. I did think it was funny. He, I was talking to him today, and he's like, game of the year for me, easy. <laughs> I did ask him. He didn't answer my question. Like, what other new games have you played from 2019? Because I don't think he has, because he's really, he, he really loves uh, uh, like Overwatch and stuff like that. Like he hasn't ventured into. But I don't, I don't disparage him or disagree with him. I haven't tried Fire Emblem myself, but I've only heard great things. Um, and I know it's a little bit different than some of the past games with some of the systems, especially when it comes to combat. Um, but it sounds really good. So, uh, Mike, maybe not as far along. Have you played the 3DS games before? Or is this your first forte into Fire Emblem? Oh, no, I've been a Fire Emblem fan since... Um, GameCube? I think, yes, yeah, since GameCube. Not Radiant Dawn was the second game of Fire Emblem game for that one. Uh, Path of Radiance, that was the first one for the GameCube. So that was what got me into it. And uh, since then, um, through emulators and things like that, I've uh, played the Super Nintendo versions cool. of, uh, of Fire Emblem. And uh, I had also bought in the uh, 3DS uh, Fire Emblem game. Um, Awakening or Awakening is the one that saved the series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was Awakening, and I was go I was getting pretty far in that up until I left my laptop bag with my my 3ds at a bar, nice. and Ooh. it was gone. So Aww. that's unfortunate. That's, that's tough. But yeah, I I was really looking forward to the Fire Emblem game for the Switch as well. I know that when I got my Switch uh, back in I guess this was maybe beginning of 2018 the first thing i thought was when does the next fire emblem game came out and i was really disappointed to hear oh my god i gotta wait another year and a half and this is how much i uh i was looking forward to this game guys my switch crapped out on me um oh about three weeks ago yeah because i idiotically uh took it to the beach yeah, i'm not gonna say uh, to the bar and left it there <laughs> no 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 <laughs> This time I stupidly took it to the beach and I had it basically in, you know, the backpack the whole time. So it was in the shade, but here's where shit just got really horrible. So I was about five feet away from the tide, right? And at that point I thought, all right, it's time to, to pack up and go. So I figured I still have five feet or so before the tide comes in i still got like a solid 45 minutes luck would have it that as i'm packing up all of my stuff a huge wave comes in and goes way past those five feet drenches all of my shit my backpack my blanket everything and then the water just recedes and goes back literally to the same level it was before my switch um just stopped taking a charge and uh, eventually just stopped working. Oh, and this sucks. was this was a week before the new Fire Emblem game came out. So what did I do? I bought a new Switch. 
literally because oh, I want to play tough. Fire Emblem. And uh, I'm going to guess maybe, Mike, that Finger... I mean, I, I think you still would have bought it because you want to play Fire Emblem. But Finger on the Pulse, they did just announce like a couple weeks ago there's going to be a new version of the Switch with a better battery. <laughs> so maybe if you waited an extra week, you could have got a better version. But you, probably worth it to play Fire Emblem now instead of having to well, wait a couple more it, weeks. It's not that the battery was bad. It's that the battery just got ravaged by salt water. But I mean, you're, you would just, if you waited, you could have got a new Switch with a better no, battery. No, 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 no. I, I wanted to get that shit That's in the opening yeah. day. I, li I literally, during lunch at work last Friday... Was it last Friday or the 26th? I literally went during lunch to, to Best Buy to go get it. Nice. Just so I could look at it. I got to ask, Mike, the most important question. House. What house did you choose? Uh, was it Blue Eagle, Blue Lion? Blue, uh, Blue Lion. You're Blue, Blue Lion, Lion Yellow Deer, yeah. and Black Eagles, even though their color is red. Yeah, yeah, they don't get that. Yeah, but uh, I picked the Blue so, Lion. Um, thanks, Mike. And for all this Fire Emblem talk it's not what i'm going to talk about this week i just want to mention i know you guys played it i haven't played it yet uh what i've been jamming on is this is actually an old pc game it came out last year on pc came out maybe four or five months ago on ps4 when it launched it had a lot of bugs um especially with um corrupting save files so i held off and uh it was on sale this week on the playstation they have a big sale going on for like the next month or so um the game i talk about is subnautica uh, you actually could have picked this up for free on PC when the Epic uh, Epic Game Store launcher came out. This was one of the free titles that they were selling. And, you know, the quick uh, s s uh, pitch on Subnautica is basically think No Man's Sky, but instead of on an alien planet, you're in an alien sea. And you're kind of stranded there in your little life preserve. And you're kind of figure out why your ship crashed and try to find survivors. And you're doing a lot of scavenging for materials and stuff. And to be fair... I've heard that spiel as well, and I heard how great Subnautica was, and it's really just one of those things, it's hard, to, you can't just describe the game and get across the feeling of just how well it plays and how well it manages those systems, but it has been extremely entertaining. Um, I knew this was a game uh, my wife Christine would really like, so I thought like, oh, let's pick it up and give it a shot, and we've both really have been, you know, digging our heels into this one and figuring stuff out, because it, it's just, it's, it's very satisfying. If you've never played a game like this, it's a lot of find a blueprint for a thing, find the materials to make that thing. Now that thing helps you rinse and repeat, find new stuff. So we're making bases now. We have vehicles. We're scooping, you know, past 100 meters. You constantly get new equipment that lets you explore the environment a little bit more. Um, it's been really fun. If that, if those type of games um, intrigue you, uh, Subnautica is kind of top of the list. And what I also like, not only am I just enjoying my time with this game it's really getting me excited no man's sky is going to have a big expansion mid-august uh where they're including vr i got psvr so i'm definitely going to jump in there with that stuff but yeah besides subnautica good omens the boys that's really been um my weekend i'm trying to think if i missed anything i think those are the big the big heavy hitters but yeah having a good time with that stuff all right fair enough so this week we got hobbs and shaw uh the boys Fire Emblem from all of us, and Subnautica. Got it. All right, so that'll call it quits for uh, this week of uh, It's Some Amazing Radio. As, as always, I was not Dr. Law. I'm Lavender Grooms, DJ Mark, yep. and Kid Presentable. What a fantastic episode we just had.
Seriously, Dude, if you're listening to this, a small miracle happened. Mike had recorded the show flawlessly and uploaded it to the internet. He's a saint now. <laughs> well, yes. Yes, I am. We're not there yet, Mike. As far as I know, we've recorded the show. We have not posted it successfully. But listener, if you're listening to this, a miracle has occurred, and Mike is now a saint. So please, St. Michael, thank you. I've got about 45% confidence that this will all work out. Yeah, it's not bad. All right. I'll see you guys next week. See ya.